golf, you know, I'm not a golfer. Golf is not my identity. And welcome back. Welcome aboard another part train. I'm one of your co-hosts, Evan Singer. I got Matt Cermak aboard with me. What's up, Ev? Great to be back. Great to see you. We just had a great interview. We did. We're going to get to that in a second. But if your golf game's off the rails and you're sick of riding that struggle bus, you guys have come to the right place. We hope frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again, because if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. We impact the mental game with anyone from a PGA Tour pro to a sports psychologist to a golfer like you and me. And that's what today is all about. Serm, I think one thing we should probably set up is this is one of the more unique stories and interviews we've ever had on the show. Irene grew up in an Orthodox Mormon home, left the religion at age 21, got estranged from her entire family. Now, I will say, we talk about some things early on that we never talk about, right? Religion gets brought up, abuse gets brought up. And the reason we went there, the reason we brought it up is because we think it's important to understand the context of where Irene came from and how she's overcoming that pain and becoming a better person for herself, the best version of herself through golf. And so everything becomes full circle at the end. You're going to hear some lessons toward the end that we've never heard on this show that I think could be really powerful for you, the listener, but you're going to hear some things early on that you're not used to hearing. Yeah, no, it was a, it was an incredible interview with Irene. So good to meet her. Obviously very, very painful upbringing. She went into that, but yeah, it, you know, it's kind of sets the stage. And then we talk about this transition into this wonderful, accomplished, creative life that she's built, right. With her music, her music career, meeting her spouse, Greg, and in the game of golf and so many good tidbits and like about identity on the golf course, about self-worth, about Judgment. routine. And Irene's been is new to the game, but she's got some things that really connected with us, some cues, some mental cues, some, some process. We talked a lot about acceptance, like guys like this stuff sticks with us forever as golfers. And it really, really just hit home. It was just a really, really powerful talk today. And, uh, so cool that we had Irene on and we're going to be following her, uh, her music career and uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to tee it up together. So like you said, a very unique interview for us, but it all came full circle. I'm so glad we did it. So, well, you make a good point, sir. you talk about how she's a beginner. Well, there's actually a concept called beginner's mind. I, I just looked up the definition. It refers to having an attitude of openness, eagerness, and lack of preconceptions when studying or doing whatever, even at an advanced level just as a beginner would, because we were talking off air. It's interesting how she's so new, yet she's approaching the game in a very productive way very early on. And so I think this brings up, if anyone's interested in that, I think there's books on this. There's many articles on it. I, I think it's a great reminder. Anytime you really get in your own way, beginner's mind, looking at things as if a beginner would, is a great way to create a new experience around something that you've got past pain with. And Irene's yeah. going to get in some other great tools for you guys to get out of your own way for sure. She re- she really breaks down getting through and understanding self-worth on the golf course. You guys are going to love that bit, how to overcome those challenges. So for sure. Great stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So as always, guys, if you find this uh, ride on the train valuable, do us a solid. Give us a review at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Hop aboard our email newsletter. We send out every Monday. It's free. One little tidbit tip or insight we're thinking about to keep you on track. And then obviously we've got YouTube, the new YouTube channel at the par train and Instagram, Twitter, TikTok at the par train. Lots of content on YouTube. A lot of content to keep you guys on track and enjoying the ride. So no matter what you've experienced in the past, no matter what you're telling yourself, no matter the the judgment or the negative things you're saying, what do they got to do, sir? Just enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride, guys. Take care. We're pumped to invite and welcome Irene aboard the part-time. Welcome aboard, Irene. We're happy to have you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Well, normally, Irene, we're doing something a little different today. Normally, I kick things off, but Cermak was very passionate. We we put a lot of thought into our first question because that a lot of times dictates the interview. 
Normally I lead it off. Cermak said no, Ev. I'd like to this time. So Cermak, floor is yours. Irene, great to have you on the show. From one Bears fan to another Bears fan, I don't know if that's a good thing these days, but I have to ask you, okay, what's a better feeling? Finding that powerful song lyric to finish a verse, that one lyric you've been searching for, it's been keeping you up at night, or making that first par on the course to hop aboard the par train. Oh, man. <laughs> this is so relevant because I'm a new golfer and I just had my first par this summer. And like, it was incredible. Special feeling. Yeah. What did that feel like? You know, well, because obviously I had been listening to you guys and I kid you not, I had had my phone out and like, I wanted to capture my first par so I could tag you guys and be like, <laughs> I made it. I'm on the par train. And it, you know, as fate would have it, it didn't get captured on video, but it was really awesome. I just felt so good about myself. But to answer your question, Matt, as a musician, I would have to say that plugging in the right lyric just is like plugging in a piece of my soul. Like I, yeah. I have to say that. Okay. Well, I mean, well, both great of music. We got our answer, you know, we're just, we're going to kick things off with music a little bit today because, um, my wife and I realized recently that there's really two kinds of people. There's lyrics people and there's, I don't know what I would, would I call it music? Oh yeah. People yeah. Um, where Tara, my wife, who's in that room right now, she hears lyrics. Like that's all she focuses on when she listens to a song. I can repeat songs. I can repeat the same song hundreds of times in a day and I won't hear a lyric at all. I just get kind of swept up. What do you think that says about two people? What do you think that says about someone who's a lyric person? What do you think that says about someone who's a music person? I'm a lyric person too. Irene just want everybody to know. <laughs> that is like trying to win me over from the, from the get go. <laughs> Because I, I am also a lyrics person, obviously. I write all my own music. But I think that the difference, it just comes down to how you're more aware of yourself. I think that some people are more aware of their feelings and their mood according to whatever the beat is. And that's great. And some people want to be more aware of everything from a poetic standpoint I would say that more often you will find that women like to concentrate on the lyrics. You know, that's why there's so many Taylor Swift fans out there. The, Just a few. Aren't you a Taylor Swift fan? Was I it am. you that Well, Evan I calls am. himself a Swifty. I, I like her, but I don't I haven't seen her and I've been I never you know, called myself a Swifty, but I've what? always liked Taylor Swift for a while. I actually broke 80 for the first time listening to that's Taylor Swift. That's what I heard. Yeah. I and heard that. I, you should listen to her every time. And <laughs> my wife and I did go to the Eras tour. We spent way too much money on those tickets, but it was the really? last US date and we're like, fuck it. Let's go because it, we hear it's a spectacle and it absolutely was. And I've been amazing. to yeah. I've been to a World Series game, Stanley Cup and a Super Bowl and a crowd did not compare to the crowd at the Taylor Swift concert. But I digress. Yeah. I <laughs> Oh, you're good. I respect the hell out of the woman. Yeah. Maybe I'll meet her in my career one day, but yeah, she is, she is something to behold. So we gave some context in our intro about you. You're probably, if not the most unique guest and story we've had, definitely one of them. We want to dig into your story a bit just to give people context and kind of guide our conversation today. So the way I want to ask that is, what was your hardest moment? You've spoken a lot about trauma and a lot of your work has been about helping women and people in general deal with trauma. But what was your hardest moment? And explain that transition from trauma to triumph. Thank you. That was beautifully posed. So I, I grew up in an Orthodox Mormon family. I was sexually abused at a young age. Lots of mental gymnastics and trauma in my youth growing up. 
I served a Mormon mission in Honduras in Tegucigalpa, which happened to be one of the murder capitals of the world. Part of my story is that before I left, I, my mother wrote me a letter telling me that she would be proud of me if I died. And so I, wow. I threw myself into the dangerous work in the area I was in. I saw many things. I have many stories. And I came back. And shortly after coming back, I met my now husband, who was not Mormon in any capacity. And after conversation with him, I ended up leaving the church and became estranged from my family and my community and had to start my life over at the age of 21. And that right there leads into answering your question. Unless you've gone through that, the actual paradigm shattering, where everything that was your identity is now gone and you don't know who to trust, you know, the people that were supposed to be my forever, you know, my family were telling me that I was crazy. I was insane. They asked me, aren't you suicidal? You know, and I had to literally go off of nothing but trusting myself that I was going to make the best decision for me. And that is probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And so for any listeners, if you've if you had to go through anything like that, or even if you haven't, for me, when I talk about identity, I think that word gets thrown around a lot these days, but for me, it's a very deep connection with myself, knowing that no matter what I do, if I make mistakes or if I make the right choice, you know, I have to be okay with the results. That was probably the most traumatic time of my life, but here I am now and really have built myself a beautiful life off of just pure grit. I decided that I would be the first person in my family to get a degree in mechanical engineering. I now work in aerospace. I started Irene's Entropy, um, successful brand music business and beyond music, business of empowerment for others. And the people I've met along the way, it's been so amazing. I digress, but so that that's my kind of background story building up to who I am now. Thank you for sharing that. I think yeah. it's important. Obviously, we're not going to go into much about religion, but no. I do think I find myself wondering, which usually means there's probably a listener wondering the same thing. My idea of, of Mormonism is the people walking around with a Bible or the book and Mormon, coming to yeah. your door and and convincing you to join in, right? What is Orthodox Mormonism, because I'm Jewish, so I know the difference between Orthodox, conservative reform with Judaism, but I don't I want to give people just this context because I want to understand how extreme it was. And then we'll dive into various elements of golf and music, et cetera. Yeah. So and I say this knowing that you probably have some some Mormon listeners and, and my goal is not to attack the there's the LDS church and then there's also offshoots where you know more of polygamy is practiced in this life i come from what is known as the standard lds church of today's age but there like in any religion are levels of belief system from the parents and while i do think that there are some dangerous concepts that can easily be misused as a tool of abuse within the religion itself I would put myself under that category. You know, I remember being in middle school. There's a lot of history with racism, polygamy, some nasty stuff in the church. I remember thinking that black people were cursed descendants of Cain when I was in middle school. I had this, you know, such a problem with anything homosexuality. I was 11 when I first learned that my future would be in polygamy you know, if not in this life, then in the afterlife. And swallowing that as an 11-year-old is is huge. I remember crying for so long. I, You know, sexual abuse is rampant and, and hidden throughout the church. And so while I do come from the mainstream religion, 
I believe that, you know, people find peace and can believe whatever they want in, in any capacity of religion, but there are tools that are sometimes misused and people end up very much abused and in traumatic states. And that happens to be my story. Yeah. As, as Evan said, I mean, thanks for sharing all that. And it is helpful for our listeners. So, you know, so you have really this tough start to your life. And like you said, look where you are now and everything that's come after this. You meet, you know, Greg, the love of your life, you go get an incredibly, an incredible degree as an engineer. Your music careers, and I know we can talk about it more, something you begin to lean on, just music in general, right? And then golf finds you also, mm-hmm. which is uh, something we'll dig into. But you, you you shared a song lyric, you know, because obviously, you know, it, you have this really tough start to your life. Most people listening can just will never be able to relate to. But then you, you begin this transition of coming out of it. As great as that felt, all these good things are happening. I know that's, it's not just happening overnight. So you have this song there. I'm going to read it and you, and you share it with us. Some people get lost chasing ghosts in their thoughts, in the walls that they've built in their mind. You can't heal what you can't find. You talk a lot about healing as well. So talk about that song lyric again, as in your progression into a better life. You guys did your homework. I'm <laughs> very, very impressed. I, that lyric to me is I think one of the most important pieces of, of my album that's going to come out because that album takes you through this journey of, you know, what happens when you lose your identity and you are starting over and there's anger and sadness and bitterness and, and then healing. And, and towards the end, you know, I realized that I needed healing and I was making so much progress in, in many ways, you know, especially in, I mean, like physically, I, I overcame partial, you know, kidney failure. Uh, I lost 40 pounds after Honduras. I became in the best shape of my life. I was getting my degree. I was learning how to, you know, socially interact with people and, and just those things were all going very well. But it got to a point where I realized that I was just chasing in circles in my head habits from my past. And I couldn't find what was, I don't want to say what was wrong with me, but I I couldn't find those, those little things that I still needed to heal and to focus on so that I could move on in so many ways. And so that lyric, you can't heal what you can't find. You have to find it first. And for me, that that really leads into golf. I, I discovered golf this summer. And if you were to just ask me, Irene, why do you want to talk about golf? You're, you're a musician. You're a new golfer. Golf, let me find the things within myself that I had been trying to heal for so long. And I just couldn't, I couldn't get it out of me. And golf brought it out for whatever mm. reason. And so I'm a huge believer in golf being so good for mind, body, soul, all of it. What is, okay. Well, what is the, what do we think the reason is? I mean, now that you've got to play and practice and be around the game. You know, I think from, if I was to pin it down to one thing, it would be that golf forces you to maintain your ego your sense of self with every shot. It is not often that, you know, even in like engineering or anything else I'm doing with my life, I can kind of hide the fact that I have ADHD or hide the fact that I kind of still have self-hatred for myself and I never think I'm doing good enough. Like I hide that and people will say, oh, you're so positive or you're so good at this. But when you have that ball in front of you, and you're just overthinking everything and you can't hit it like you you're forced to have that understanding and that conversation with yourself of okay you <laughs> you have work to do and it's just right there in front of you it's so physical what did you what did you find specifically when you started playing golf you said golf helped you find it golf gave me and this might sound a bit cheesy Golf gave me the opportunity 
to like myself hmm. regardless of if I was going to hit that shot or not. I had to like me wherever, whatever happened to the hit. I you you accept it. That, yeah. You have to just accept it. And I had never had anything in my life that, you know, I've, I played so many sports, but there's nothing like being forced to be okay with yourself, no matter what the outcome is. That was so foreign and new to me. I find yeah. that interesting, Irene, because it's actually very easy. Eric Lang came on the show and he said, golfers are kind of crazy. You have to be committed enough in the beginning to get through the pain and the, the embarrassment and then, you know, work hard enough to be able to think you can and almost crazy enough to think you can get good at something so hard. So to me, I find it interesting that in the phase of it, you probably getting your worst results of being a beginner, right? Where it's just hard to understand how to hit it. I'm very intrigued to hear that that's how you found self-appreciation, self-worth when that's actually a very easy time for you to have the opposite. You know, I think most people get into the sport because, you know, they want to play and there's there's just so many awesome aspects to golf outside of the sport. And it's not often that you have someone like me who has been searching and working on not just mental health, but just well-being and identity for years. And I was trying to do that through music and other things, but it's almost like an opposite thing. I didn't join the sport to just be in the sport. I joined with this history of trying so hard to find the last bits of myself that I needed to conquer. And then golf just happened. I don't know that that happens for a, a lot of people, but if you are listening and also to my listeners, um, because I know that golf is like huge for women right now. I don't know if you guys have seen that statistic, but like yeah. the biggest, it's like 50, it went up by 15%, like just since COVID that like women are joining golf in, in droves. So, and many of my followers are, are women. So for all of you listening, golf is the most beautiful opportunity to find yourself and to be okay with you. You can use golf for so many things, but I would highly recommend the sport um, if you want to improve your mental game in life. Yeah, yeah and obviously, Irene, you know, ahead, <laughs> yeah, that's a lot about what we talk about on this show. I've said it to myself. Evan and I were talking about this off air. Golf can be very therapeutic. For me, going to the driving range is very therapeutic. After a long day, after a bad week, after an issue going on, like, it sounds like golf has helped you with your ego, helping you accept, move on. It is what it is. It's going to be okay. Do your best to get to the next shot, but it sounds like it's therapeutic for you and maybe for Greg too, since you guys are playing a lot together. Yeah. Well, and you know, it comes up in so many just different conversations now. Like for example, I was, I was in the studio just last night. I was recording uh, vocals for a very powerful song like think rage against the machine level. And I was just going at it. And, you know, I, I was, I was really liking what I was putting down. And I went back to talk to my, my sound engineer, which incredible guy. I mean, he works with, I don't know if you knew cheap trick. Yeah. Is, they're, they're out of Rockford. Rockford. Yep. So I got a quick I mean, story about them in a minute. Good. Oh, <laughs> cool. Yeah. He, I mean, he works with them. He has an Academy award. Like literally won an Oscar for some of the music that he did for I think it was the football documentary, Undefeated, or something okay. like that. Um, anyways, super talented guy. Happens to also love golf. So I'm in the studio and I'm really just, you know, going at it. And I go to the back to listen to the take. And he just he just was like, you know how in golf, when you really wind up and like you just want to hit it so so far and you take the swing and then it just it's just too much it it it's a slice it, and i was like yeah and he said that's what you're doing right now vocally i need you to just trust that whenever you raise that club you know you let it fall 
don't don't try so hard. And oh, after that golf analogy, I went back in and did a couple more takes and just nailed it. But it was golf that was the analogy that worked for me. I don't know. It it comes up more often than you think, even in music world. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Stay seated. Keep those seatbelts fast, and we'll get you right back to the show. Have you ever felt a little bit guilty or wondered if you play too much golf? Well, I've got good news for you because according to my new best friend that sits on my wrist all the time, my whoop band, it has clarified and confirmed 100%, it's in the data, that golf is not just a leisurely activity. Golf is not just a hobby. It is real damn exercise. I've been blown away by my strain numbers on my whoop not even walking 18 holes. Like, obviously, if you're walking six miles over four to five hours, that's going to show up. That's going to get you probably a 12 to 13 strain. But going to the range sometimes is an even bigger strain than a hard 45-minute workout at F45. So I'm starting to go to the range and feel real good about what I did when I get back. So go to join whoop.com slash partrain and I got you something that nobody else can get you. I got you a month free. You don't even have to pay for your whoop band. Everything's free. And if you don't like it after a month, then return it. No problem. No questions asked. So it's risk-free. And I'm telling you, I can't imagine waking up without my whoop, looking at my sleep numbers, and just having a better understanding of my health as a whole. It's really become a huge part of my life, and I'm telling you that genuinely because I wouldn't have partnered with them if I didn't test it for one to two months before and absolutely loved it. Now it's a huge part of my life. So join.whoop.com slash partrain and get a free month, risk-free. All right, let's get back on track. I think a lot of people might hear this and be like, it could seem trivial and silly to like, use and compare golf to something so painful like you described at the beginning and healing trauma it could feel like it could be hard for people to put that together i don't think for most of our listeners that's the case because they probably hear us make that those connections regularly this is probably at a different level but it is interesting how so much of you talked about identity Sometimes the thing that you're grabbing onto the hardest, and I've struggled with this myself, can be the thing you have to let go of the most. And it can be really difficult to do that because it's the thing that you want the most. How can I let go of that? That's the thing I've been trying to do for 20 years, right? But then when people realize that the best way to bring something in or attract something or create something is to loosen your grip on it. I know it sounds a little woo-woo to say that, but it actually is an amazing analogy for getting anything you want in life. And especially letting go of the identity part, I think is the hardest thing. Because what I've learned, Irene, be curious to hear if you connect with this, is anytime I've ever struggled in my life, personally, professionally, golf, non-golf, it's always rooted in self-criticism. Always. Self-judgment, self-criticism. It always is there. I'm not feeling like shit because I lost six golf balls. I'm feeling like shit because the narrative in my head is telling me that I'm a failure because I lost six golf balls. Yep. So it's that self-judgment and that identifying with that performance is where we get into trouble. What has your experience been with that as you've been a beginner and with your trauma work prior? Oh, completely. I mean, you just, you just nailed the whole thing on the head, but I grew up in a family and in a world where, you know, I, I constantly was judging myself and, and had judgment from others and would drive myself to extremes, like extreme emotions to compensate for the judgment I knew I was going to receive. And even when I first hit the golf course, I really thought I had worked through self judgment and also judgment of other people. But as a new golfer, 
it is terrifying when you go up and you think everybody's watching you when you're about to tee off and you have so many thoughts in your head of like, if you don't hit this and you look like a, you know, uh, for me, like a silly girl that's trying to play golf, you know, so much negativity. And I couldn't, I literally could not drive the ball more than maybe 10 feet. I don't know. I couldn't even get it off out of the tee box the first couple of times I played because I was so crippled by self-judgment and judgment of others. And that has changed now. And, and what is crazy, you know, people might listen and think, oh, like, I don't know if this really applies to me, but the more that I was able to let go and to not judge myself of no matter what was going to happen, I have found more success at work in my personal relationships with my husband, my stepson, even with my friendships. Like I am becoming a better person because I am learning to let go and I can't control every situation. I think that's a huge, huge lesson that, that I've learned in golf. I can't remember your original question if I'm- Well, let me ask, let me follow up with this. A lot of people here you got to let go. But when it's been something you've held on to for years, it's a really hard thing to do. So was there something you said to yourself? Was there something else you focused on? How did you let go of the judgment standing on the tee box? For me, it was literally just trusting, trusting my body that if I lifted my arms up, how um, I took lessons. Like if I lifted my arms up, how the instructor told me to, if I let it fall, I did the best I could do. You know, I, I'm in the beginning stages of learning, but just knowing that whatever you bring to the table, whatever I could do with that swing, that was the best I could do. And I would continue working my ass off to get better. But that mentality of you can only give what you're capable of giving and know that as you work harder, it will get better. No, I mean, I, I think this is a, this is actually a great part of part of this episode here. Sir, it kind of reminds me of the throwing bag of sand that we were talking about off air. Yeah, no, it does. Finding that, letting you find that thought that brings the best out of you. But I mean, Irene, come on, you you've played a lot of shows, concerts in your life, right? I, I'm sure, and you're going to have it again and again as you continue to have this successful career. You you had that moment like, oh my God, there's a lot of people out there, right? Was So you focus on how many people there is. You're going to forget maybe to play the songs or what's the first song or what's the second song or what maybe help, has helped you in that situation? Because I love these translatable tactics, kind of like actual, like things you can do or think, right? For me, when I'm, when I'm nervous on the first tee box, which is all the time, I shake my hands, I breathe from my stomach, and I tell myself, slow down and focus on your target. It's like, I have to like, you know, do these things. You might see me shaking my hands, right? Like, you know, yeah. in the corner of the tee box, but it's like, it's and helping my player. It's helping my body kind of even out, you know, in my, but I don't know, maybe you can tell us what got you through that big show or big concert, you know? Yeah. And I, I want to answer this honestly. I, I almost think like when I'm on stage and I have a guitar in front of me and a microphone, I, I don't feel nervous. Yeah. It's almost like a, do you feel this because you're, you're confident in what you're about to do? I like, feel so safe knowing yeah. that oh, this is perfect. Actually, you know who Rick Rubin is? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, One of the big legend. producers, legendary producer, legendary music, producer, rock guy, rock and roll. Yeah. And and he talked about once that, you know, as, as an artist, if you are going to make a work of art, you better be doing it because your, your soul, yourself needs to make this art and put it out in the world for you. And it's like an offering, you know, to, to God or to the universe or to whoever it's, it's this offering of that part of your yourself and whether people like it or not oh well but the feeling of knowing that you put it all out there that's 
the amazing thing and i'm i'm just slaughtering the, the way he put it was so much more poetic but yeah, but, uh, but when i'm on stage and i have that guitar in my hand and i know that you know i have spent months or years to to develop the craft of the lyrics my voice my tone my guitar playing everything I know that it's the best that I have to offer. And so I have never once, even if I've messed up at a show, I don't hate myself when I mess up with music. And I'm just yeah. now finding this. But perhaps that is the mentality that I couldn't recognize anywhere else in my life. And golf is what kind of started bringing it out. That's great. Well, yeah, because what you just said before, I really want to hit it home for people in case they didn't catch it. Your previous state was fear, fear of what others think, fear of messing up and judging yourself. Therefore, I would imagine really tight grip on the club, a ton of thoughts. You have no idea. Your brain has no idea what to do with all of that direction. And you could barely you just want to get ball, it over with. Right. One could barely. Hit the oh, ball. Yeah. <laughs> now, what you did, you didn't tell yourself, let go. What you did was you shifted your focus to something more productive, which was all I have to do is lift my arms in this way and, and let my arms fall and turn. And I know that if I do that, I'll probably be okay. So that is what, that is literally the mental shift that we talk about so many times in this show is I'll give people context on what I said to Serm, which was a guy DM me when I posted my swing on my story. And I was like, this is the swing I'm taking to Scotland for better or worse. And a guy sent that. me, a guy sent me something. He's like, Hey, I don't want to send like, I got like all this swing advice and all these videos and different things, Look out. which too I appreciated, much, but I was like, <laughs> I don't need to like, I'm afraid to watch that stuff. I'm just going to focus on what I'm working on. But this one guy sent me this message of the best tip he ever got from this YouTube video was your downswing is basically throwing a heavy bag of sand as far as you can. And if you think about what you would do in your body to do that, you would really wind up and you would really release it. Right. And so one thing I told Sir that was really working for me, who knows how it'll be on the course, but on, at least on the range, I loved that because when I felt it in my hands, I felt the fear and my ego was like, God damn it. Don't you don't you flare another one right where you just don't know where the face is. And it just, it reinstills this feeling of being a failure that you can't figure this thing out. A really great switch for me was I don't need to worry about that. All I need to do is throw the bag of sand and I will probably release it without trying to release it. And I'm probably going to hit an okay shot. So that I think is so important for everybody to listen, find whatever that non-positional sensory feel and commitment is and then you can play golf all day just doing that commitment you can do that in anything yeah i think for me i have the most confidence with a pitching wedge there's just something about the click of a pitching wedge from 100 100 yards out like that's my best shot and for me, sometimes I also just tell myself, like, if I'm hitting a different iron, this is just like the pitching wedge, just a little longer club. So just, you know, take a little bit of a step back. And often if I find confidence in what I'm comfortable knowing that I can hit, if I just have that mentality of like, it's just like you lift the pitching wedge, let it fall. But knowing that I, you know, I set myself up for the shot. I find better results. And to be clear, the best I've ever done is I think Greg and I together got 90. Nice. I would hope that like if we revisited and I like in a scramble, range, uh, just the two of us, we were out in Wyoming. We had just gotten done with tour. Oh, we cool. had a show in Colorado, Salt Lake. We were driving home and we stopped at um, the University of Wyoming to stretch our legs. Um, and yeah, we we got 90 and I'll forever have that memory. Um, I hope we break 90 soon, but well, we're going to have you back when you do. Um, I think that's, I think that's, that's great because so much of golf is we have to, and Evan, and I talk about this a lot. It's like you, you, when you're playing your best and then you're not playing your best. And maybe it was last year you were playing your best. You think about what was I doing? What was I feeling? 
What were my thoughts? What were my routines? You like literally start looking at it all. Yeah, how did how I can I up? be that again? And so you're trying to find these, these feelings to replicate because it is so hard to do in golf. But if we're aware of that, like I love your pitching wedge analogy. Like I said this recently, it's so easy for somebody to hit a, a four iron, like down on a second shot on a par five for a wide fairway. I can do that anytime. But if you give me a four iron on a par three, you know, oh. over a bunker, you're, you're, it's like your mind's in a totally different place. And it's, you know, it's, it's kind of like what you're talking about. Right. But we have to like, always remember to get back and be, I guess as the word Evan uses, I don't know if it's sensory, but you have awareness. To, yeah, awareness. I love to this memory to kind of bring you back. Yeah. You, and, and that again, brings it back to, to what I'm trying to, to relate with just even being on here is that golf has brought me an awareness of myself because you, you have to know yourself in order to play this game. You have to understand when to take the mulligan, when to just say next ball, you have to be aware of, you know, I, I said this the other week to Greg, cause we were on a very hard course and I said, golf is the only sport that you know, on a basketball court, the court is the court. You know that court. When you step up to that three-point line, you know exactly the position you, you need to be in. You know, rugby, volleyball, j- football, anything else, it doesn't change. And that's what's so hard about golf is yeah. it's not the course. You have to be aware of yourself in order to to beat the course. It's just such a different mentality. Yeah, I think that's great. Go ahead, Well, that's a good point because you have to know yourself and what your tendencies are and where the judgment's coming from. And you have to know what to then lean into. You have to have a toolbox to understand, okay, so like for me, let's use me as an example, right? I'm going to Scotland. I've had experiences in the past and this is trauma. Like I know it's not the same level, but it is trauma to go on a bucket list course, play with people who know who I am and place their opinions of trying to make sure I live up to whatever they have in their mind, which by the way, could be true. It could not be. I'm building it up in my own head and my own ego. And let's say I've struggled in the past in that environment. My body, I'm wearing a whoop. My stress monitor is going to be a three out of three when I step on the first tee at my first round at King's Barnes in a week. Guaranteed. Mm -hmm. But I know that that's going to happen But that's not me. That is my brain designed to try and prevent that pain from happening again. That's going to happen. I need to pre-expect that to happen. But I know that when that does happen, I've got some keys where it's gripping the club a little bit lighter, good tempo, maybe making a bigger turn and throwing the bag of sand as hard as I can using my body instead of my hands. And let's see where it goes. But that whole round, I'm going to be able to like check in and lean more into the environment around me, appreciating the scene, talking to my caddies, asking them about them, getting myself out of expectation, judgment, identity, and all that stuff. So what I think Irene was getting at, Serm, is what she feels on the stage is probably where you want to start to feel you want to get closer to that feeling with a golf club in your hand of because yeah. you could make you, you have messed up, but you've done enough work and you have enough confidence and belief that you don't identify with your mess up on stage, mm-hmm. but you don't have as much experience in golf. And it's not as common for a woman to be on a golf course than men. And so a mess up on the golf course could lead to a ton of self-judgment and hatred. So it's trying to find something that you can be confident with, even though you might not feel fully confident. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think to, to take that a step further, again, everyone, this is live me discovering this in this podcast. I I never thought about this. Yeah. I, (laughs) the safety that I feel with, with music and performing, which most people would be terrified of for me, Finding it in golf, physically finding that anxiety and self-judgment within myself in golf has made me realize where it is in the rest of my life. 
golf has made me aware of so many other things in my life that I know that I can fix, you know, on the golf course, I still have to tell myself to keep a loose grip because I do just want to squeeze the shit out of it. We all do. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but, but, you know, at like I said, at work, I, I often have, um, it could be a high stress environment of, you know, there's, there's a customer that needs some part because they have to do a test flight or they need to make it through a qualification. And I need to make sure that my part is safe to go on an aircraft. And like the high anxiety moments where I, I literally have just stopped and been like, okay, like calm down. Same thing as, as what we were just talking about with golf. Like if you can find those other key moments in your life that is like when you're standing at that tee or at some bunker and, and you need to make the right shot training yourself how to calm down in those moments and handle that if you can apply that into other parts of your life oh my god life just got a whole lot easier all right we're going to take a quick break and one of our favorite sponsors created a product that i know so many of you guys have got but i want to plug it again because there are still some sizes left the par train glove with red rooster it's at redroostergolf.com slash par train I've been getting so many messages about this is the softest glove, this is the most comfortable glove, this is the coolest glove that I've ever had. I love getting those messages. And there are some sizes left. We've got the Partrain logo in green with a little enjoy the ride above my thumb, trying to hitchhike on those tracks because we wanted this glove to be designed in a way that it reminds you to enjoy the ride while you're playing. Everything that we make and we sell, we do it to try and keep you on track. It's not just a a utility of a good glove. Yes, it's that. It's not just looks good because it's a cool green on white design. Yes, it's also that. But it's a mental tool. It's something you can look down at. Cermak used to tell me he used to write stuff on his glove. It has the message on it. Enjoy the ride and it's going to keep you on track. So redroostergolf.com slash partrain and use the code train for 20% off redroostergolf.com slash partrain use the code train for 20% off all right let's get back to the show golf to me has always been you know we're always going to hit bad shots it's just actually just part of the game it's that's why it's such a crazy game right all we do is hit these <laughs> you know shots that don't live up to our expectations and we just keep going and going and going and it, but it's just how we respond it's like you talk about at work you, you have a call, bad call with a customer Maybe you had a writer's block as you're working on an album, right? Or you put a couple of, you know, put a terrible nine holes together. What am I going to do on the 10th hole? And I think, what do we get? What do you lean on and what do you get back to? Yep. And for you, it sounds like, you know, you talk about your music, like it's so great that you have that to lean on to kind of translate to golf and then vice versa. Now it's like, like you said, you're building this whole new identity. It's just, it's, it's so cool to listen to. Yeah. And I think maybe, this was another thought the other day that, you know, talk about identity so much. And like my single that's coming out is identity. I've, I've, I've talked about it quite a bit in music world, but I've noticed that when I asked my followers to, I, I asked them a question about what's one thing in your identity that hasn't changed throughout your life. And I noticed that there's a lot of people that answer with, well, I'm a daughter or I'm a husband or I'm a, you know, firefighter. They, they name yeah. off things that are nouns, you okay. know, but hardly anyone would name off things that were adjectives. So like describing yourself as patient or self-reflective or determined, you know, and I think golf, you know, I'm not a golfer. Golf is not my identity, but the, adjectives that describe who I am becoming in my identity because of golf are more of like these, these adjectives of I am more patient with myself, reflective. That's powerful, I think, to have that change of, of mindset because it does translate so much more into life. Well, Ev, it's like, I know you could really dig into this, Ev. I want to lead this to you. It's like yeah. finding those things in your life, those healthy activities that maybe you've you know, people just haven't had the guts to do or even seek out or even think that way, right? Whether it's fitness, whether it's diet, it's a certain activity. 
It's a class. Like, well, this is why I love this show because any other golf podcast, you'd be like, why, why would there be value in bringing in someone who's played the game for three to six months? Right. But Irene just said something that no one's ever said on the show. And we've had Bob Rotella on the show. Right. Bob didn't say this. She just said something really cool, which is Irene, your point about identifying with the label of being a golfer. I think a big trap is also identifying with your handicap because anytime I know I've struggled with this, I know that my ball striking doesn't match what my handicap says I am. Right. So then you're thinking this, I do not look like a seven right now. This is not me. I am not, this is embarrassing to be hitting a ball like this when I should be a seven. Right. But what you just said is if you identify with a quality that is something you can lean back into. So the natural response, the automatic thought pattern is that I'm not playing like a seven, but I'm not a seven. I'm not even Evan. That was the name that my parents gave me right now. I'm getting a little meta, but keep, stay with me. The mm -hmm. point is, is that if you say, and, and Brett McCabe kind of mentioned this a little bit before, where it's just like, what is your, like, what do you hang your hat on? Like, are you a competitor? Do you like to compete? Are you patient? Are you fierce? Do you welcome a challenge? Then, hard worker. Yeah. yeah, hard worker. Then it's something that you could say, oh no, I'm not a seven. I'm a competitor. So even though I'm getting these automatic thoughts where I'm challenging my identity and I'm pissed and I'm frustrated, maybe I'm just going to have to compete a little harder to work on the stuff that I need to right now to try and get back on track. That's a really valuable lesson. That's for anything. Yeah. And I think if, if you can fall back on those qualities and make that your identity, you have just set yourself up to conquer anything. I kind of wanted to go down a, a train, huh, a train of thought. No That's the intended. name of our newsletter. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, that even, you know, the whole uh, name thing you uh, you were talking about, I Irene was not the name I was born with. Uh, people mm. people don't know that, actually, usually. Irene was was a name given to me in, in a temple ceremony in the Mormon church. It was supposed to be the name that I was never supposed to tell to anyone. It was a secret, and but it was going to let me cross the threshold of heaven's door, according to this, this ceremony. And when I chose to use that name, it was me identifying not just with a name but with the concept of i will take a part of myself that was supposed to be kept secretive and i will bring this name a meaning of empowerment of courage of the ability to change to learn and to grow so to me that's that's what Irene represents for me. And I have found so much more success in being Irene of Irene's Entropy because I have built myself on these qualities rather than a noun, a name, mm -hmm. or I'm just a singer or I'm this. And so if you can apply that to golf as well, like you said, you know, the name of your handicap or whatever, I do think, and I speak from the experience of myself with with music, but in golf as well, there's so much more to be found when you can connect with those parts of yourself. So Irene, let me ask you this. I know we're almost at time. I do think one thing we haven't dug into enough is this idea when someone hears the word trauma, it can feel very, what's the word? It can feel huge, right? Oh, yeah. Maybe overused too. Yeah. Right. It can feel like kind of the experience you talked about at the beginning, right? People would associate something that painful with childhood trauma. But what I don't think enough people really know is any pain you've ever experienced. So someone could have a panic attack. Someone could feel claustrophobic on a plane. Someone could get ostracized by their boss in a meeting. Yeah. And now the next time they go to a meeting, you're responding to something that's painful that's happened in the past. How has golf 
helped you deal with pain? Let's position trauma that way. How, yeah. What is a and skill you've learned that anyone can use to help themselves deal with past pain going into a similar situation? I would first say that I, I think the word trauma is overused, but your worst day is your worst day. No matter who you are, people love to compare, you know, well, my thing was worse than yours. And so I have more experience dealing with it. If you have a bad day, your worst day is your worst day, period. Mm. You know, we all are living on our own spectrum. And so talking about pain, if if you have experienced something the previous day at your work or in your marriage relationship, dealing with pain should always come down to an awareness of yourself and what parts of yourself can you fall back on to be confident that you are making the best decision for you that you can get through anything. I mean, you guys say that all the time. If you can smile through a bad day of golf and you can smile through anything. I, I love that because I think that if you can learn to love yourself or smile through any sort of pain or trauma, then you've got life. That's literally figuring life out. It, so. Isn't it fascinating that the golf, this sport is individual sport. And remember the individual sports are the toughest. Irene, you played a lot of sports. This is the one sport that can get us in these dark places, right? Again, trauma overused, but like you said, your bad day is your bad day. And it's how you're feeling in that moment. And a bad golf round or a bad golf hole can take us to places that it just is like, how does it do this? Right? Like, this is just a sport. This is just a game but it's how we respond, right? And we realize that, why do I even play this game? You know, why do I write music? Why do I play golf? I think we all have to ask ourselves those questions at times and find a reason that's healthy and productive because it'll do it to you. It'll do it yep. to you, but coming out yep. of it, you got to come out, you got you to get back on your feet and it can be so difficult as, as we talk a lot about. Yeah. Golf strips you down to the core of you. I don't care who you are because we all suck at golf <laughs> at some point in time. And yeah, it'll, it'll, it strips you down to the parts of yourself that you might not face on a day-to-day -day basis because you become comfortable um, with life. Golf happens to be like one of the only things that we're willing to put ourselves through <laughs> the, that frustration. I, I mean, Evan, we've said the quote a million times. My golf coach said it to us, coughed and said to me when I'm down, it doesn't define who you are. It just reveals who you were Ooh. that day. That's it. You know what to work on. You know, it doesn't define you. It just reveals you. And we have to, we have to repeat that to ourselves. But it doesn't just reveal you. It reveals what's important to you. Right. Yeah. Ooh, because, yeah. because the pain and the frustration indicates what you value. So Irene, let's finish with this. We ask this to every guest. For someone that's, for our listeners, either reiterate something we've already talked about that you think super important that they can take with them or something we didn't get a chance to talk about that you think is too important not to and you want to end with that. Your choice. You know, when it comes down to it, I just think that I've always been so impressed with your slogan. If you can smile through a bad day of golf, you can smile through anything. And I, I hope to just drive it home that literally take it a step further. If you can smile through golf because you have discovered a new part of yourself, of your core, of your identity, and you are going to then take that and apply it to other parts of your life, you'll be more successful than you could ever imagine. Golf is such a great teacher. So just bringing it back to you guys. If you can smile through golf and learn from golf, then you can learn and smile through anything. I love it. I love it. Irene, and also before we sign off, tell all the listeners where they can find you. You got a lot of pages and a lot of links, a lot of good stuff happening right now, especially with your music. So tell us where everybody can go find you. Yeah. New single coming out September 29th. You can find that on my YouTube, Irene's Entropy. E-N-T-R-O-P-Y. Also Spotify, Apple Music, any streaming service. I would start there. 
and then you'll find my website. You'll find other things. My Instagram, irenes.entropy. Follow along. Lots of fun stuff happening. Hop on board, right? <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Irene. This was great. Appreciate you hopping on board. Thank you, Thanks guys. Hey guys, this is Evan. Real quick before you hop off the train, I got something for you. It's called The Train of Thought. It's our new email newsletter. Would you like to get one nugget, insight, or thought that we're pondering every week that could help keep you sharp and help your mental game? Go to thepartrain.com and subscribe to The Train of Thought newsletter today. It's really the best way to enjoy the ride. See you guys.